Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everybody and welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. My name is Deborah Hatswell and you're listening to BBR Investigations. From the misty farm lanes of Lancashire to the chilly Cairngorms, it's that time of year when it's good to curl up with a warm drink, an ice blanket and possibly a fire. Relax while I take you on a tour of some very strange mountain ranges. In the lonely Cairngorm Mountains, there is a place known to many as the Shelterstone. The Shelterstone is sometimes referred to as a boffy, but it's more accurately described as a house, just a shelter in a gap between boulders. And in this case, the main flat-sided boulder is a big one, which is visible in clear conditions, jutting out of the rock-strewn slope above the western end of Loch Haven. Now, while there are reports dating from the 18th century, of 18 armed men holding up in the shelter stone. The 12 square meters of usable floor space is perhaps better place to accommodate about half a dozen people in relative comfort. Although there are contemporary records of around a dozen men squeezing in there in the 1950s to take shelter overnight. In January this year, a young woman found refuge at the Stone House after nearly perishing on the slopes in bad weather. Justina Kohlberg, 32, from Edinburgh, was on a walk to the summit of Ben Macdew, Britain's second highest mountain, when she got into some serious difficulty. She turned back due to fog, but she lost her bearings, and Justina ended up at Loch Haven. She sought refuge at the shelter stone. It was getting dark and she thought the safest option was to shelter for the night. Fortunately for her, other hill walkers had left a survival blanket and other blankets at the stone for use in an emergency. Justina, who had set out on her walk on Wednesday morning, said, Thank God that they'd left them there. I have never been this close to death. I thought I had a 50-50 chance of survival. There's a small rock cairn perched on top of the shelter stone for weary travellers and climbers alike to spot. Although it could be said, there are other visitors to the shelter. Before all they walk the slopes, they're not human in any way. Many visitors to the area have experienced some similar crunching footsteps, feelings of being watched or followed. And in some cases, a creature sometimes described as looking like a yeti is seen nestled in the Cairngorm Mountains that are said to be the home of the Big Grey Man. The Shelterstone has some strange stories attached to it. 
And one of the most interesting accounts was shared with me only last week by a BBR member. And I knew you would all be interested in this article. I have also included a number of other strange reports made by people who were sheltered at the shelter stone. This first experience centres around a group of climbers and it was shared by Tom Marr when he explained a terrifying encounter that he had with a mysterious presence at the shelter stone in 1977. Tony said, this happened to me and two of my close friends during a bivouac in the Cairngorm mountains of Scotland. It was August 77. Despite this mysterious incident occurring more than four decades ago, the story until now has only ever been shared with my family and very close friends. However, over the last few years, I've been encouraged to record and share my story with a larger audience, some of whom may hopefully find it as mystifying and intriguing as I do. Tom went on to add, Our team that weekend comprised of John Chadwick, Alan Taylor and me. We first met and became close friends a few years earlier through our common passion of rock climbing. As keen climbers, we were well aware of the best and hardest rock climbs in Britain. On one such weekend, a bank holiday weekend, we planned to test our skills and climb the steeple, a route on one of Scotland's finest rock faces, the huge shelter stone crag in the Cairngorm Mountains. The climb has a fearsome reputation. We were already experienced climbers with a long list of similar difficult climbs behind us. John and I were both in our late 20s, but between us, we had already amassed more than 30 years of climbing experience, both in the UK and the Alps. Alan was our youngest team member at just 17. Yet despite his tender age, he was already a very talented climber. We were under no illusion just how difficult this climb was going to be. Leaving our homes in Middlesbrough after work on the Friday evening, we embarked on the long drive north. Sometime in the early hours of Saturday morning, John, our driver, declared he needed some rest and he promptly pulled into a quiet lay-by just outside Aviemore. We slept for what was left of the night and after a breakfast, we headed into town. We drove the remaining few miles to the Cairngorm chairlift car park. Stepping from the car into the chilly, moist air was an unpleasant shock. It was August, but dark clouds sped overhead and they were being propelled by a strengthening wind. The car park was virtually deserted, apart from two small groups of walkers. Yet it was mid-morning. Why was it so quiet? Did people know something we didn't? We sorted and packed our rucksacks with equipment for the weekend. Food, stove, fuel for three days, cooking gear, ropes, climbing gear, you know, the normal stuff. We had a really pleasant downhill walk to Lock Haven and the shelter store. This became a real physical battle though, because the wind was blowing with such force that we had to lean against it and drive ourselves forward. It was not until we began the final descent to the loch that the terrain began to offer some shelter, allowing us to unzip our jackets and wipe our watery eyes. There it is, said John, pointing beyond the loch, and our eyes were drawn to the shelter stone crag. The path led into the boulder field beneath the shelter where we found some refuge for the next few days. We were relieved to find the shelter was empty and unoccupied. In fact, it suddenly dawned on us. We'd not seen another human being all day. We began unpacking our rucksacks and making ourselves comfortable. 
The day was nearly over and darkness was fast approaching. Inside, it was quiet and peaceful, totally insulated from the outside world. We settled ourselves on the flattest ground we could, with our feet pointing towards the entrance. We ate our meal and settled in for the night. And as soon as our torches were out, it became absolutely pitch black. You could just make out the open entrance in the blackness. I think we fell asleep pretty quickly. The day's strenuous activities had tired us all out. Sometime later, I was woken by sounds that were coming from our cooking pots. I could hear scratching and rattling noises that I figured were just mice searching for scraps of food. I drifted back to sleep. Later still, I was again roused from my sleep, this time by another, more unexpected sound. This time it was distinct rattle of someone sliding on the stones. I really didn't want to be disturbed again, so I just closed my eyes and I listened, wishing that whatever was making the noise would just go away and let me get some sleep. The sounds were coming from the scree slope above the shelter and they were becoming louder. Given the time of night, I thought it was unlikely to be a day, but it could possibly be other climbers or walkers looking for shelter. I lay quietly with my eyes shut, but fully awake now, listening, expecting to hear voices, but there were none. I rolled over in my sleeping bag so I could look towards the approaching sounds, trying to see a glimpse of torchlight through the gap in the shelter stone's dry walls, but there weren't any. The sound of sliding scree faded away, only to be replaced by the distinctive clonking sound made when granite boulders knocked together. Someone was picking their way through the boulder field towards us. I could make out the sound of a single set of slow, heavy footsteps getting ever closer, and there was no other sounds or voices. Once again, I turned my head towards the approaching sounds, trying to catch a glimpse of torchlight or movement, but again, there was nothing. I began wondering how anybody could negotiate that. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or... House cleaning. Or... Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Boulderfield on a pitch black night without some form of light. 
The previous day, we crossed the same rocky terrain in daylight, and we found we all find it required great skill not to slip or fall on those rocks. The footsteps were approaching the rear of the shelter stone with a slow, regular, and very heavy thump, thump, thump. And then they suddenly stopped. And there was total silence. Whatever was making the sounds was now within 10 feet of where I was lying. I was beginning to feel tense and uneasy. The footstep sounds I was hearing were unlike anything I'd ever heard before. My brain raced through its memory bank, trying to match these sounds with others I'd experienced over the years. Were they the sounds of human? Any manner of animal? But there was no match. I was confused. This was my 20th year as a rock climber. And in that time, I'd spent hundreds of nights in the mountains, either under canvas or in some natural shelter. Never once in all these years had I ever felt frightened or threatened until now. And this was very different. After what seemed like minutes, but was probably only seconds, the footsteps started again with the same slow, heavy rhythm. Thump, thump, causing some of the boulders to clunk together. I could feel the vibrations from each footstep through the rock slab, and I was laid upon the ground. I could feel it. My nervousness was gaining momentum. Fear churned in my stomach, and I was outside my comfort zone. What the hell was happening to me? The footsteps were moving around the outside of the shelter towards the entrance by now, and although I could not see any movement, each footstep was so distinct that I was able to track the progress as they neared ever closer to the entrance. I raised my head and I peered past my feet and the entrance was barely discernible. A grey shadow amongst jet blackness. The eerie footsteps stopped at the entrance. I had no torch. There was no light. No sound. I was breaking out in a cold sweat. Never have I experienced anything so frightening. My eyes strained to penetrate the darkness, trying to identify whatever was making my pulse race. But still, nothing was visible. After what seemed like an eternity, the footsteps began again, slow and heavy. But this time, they were heading away towards the lock. I listened intently, and the sounds eventually faded. I breathed again. I lay for several minutes still. My mind was in turmoil. What on earth had I just experienced? My thoughts turned to my two companions. Alan lay a short distance to my left and John a similar distance to my right. I listened for any movement or indication that they were awake, but they both appeared sound asleep. I began to wonder if I'd just experienced a really bad dream. Restless but utterly exhausted, I finally fell asleep. John was the first one awake and he crawled outside to check the weather. Seconds later, he shouted back through the entrance. You're not going to believe this. It might be summer, but we've got snow. Alan and I looked at each other in disbelief and then we scrambled outside to look for ourselves. Sure enough, only a few feet higher, the rocks were covered in a very thin layer of wet snow and the crags were just covered in mist. Our plans for the weekend had just been cancelled. We were really disappointed, but we just had to get breakfast 
over and done with and then leave. My two companions appeared to be their normal selves. My, my own thoughts kept returning to the previous night. Had it been just a dream? Was it just me? I wasn't sure. I needed to find out though. John was standing next to me and I asked if he'd slept okay. And he said he'd slept well. Great, slept like a log, was his reply. I was shocked by his response and I wondered how he could have slept through those mice clattering around, the sliding scree, those footsteps. Maybe I'd been dreaming. I turned to Alan who was busy making bacon sandwiches. How about you Al? How was your night? Alan paused as though he was considering his answer. It wasn't a good one, was his initial reply. Then he turned the question back to John and I. Did anything disturb either of you two last night? John quickly answered with a resounding, nope, nothing. Attention turned to me. I had a dreadful night, I replied. My response seemed to stir Alan's attention and another question, why what was the problem? And I just replied, I could hear mice in the cooking pots. Alan nodded in agreement and said, anything else? Well, I heard noise from the scree and footsteps. I replied, Alan looked relieved and he responded excitedly, yes, yes, I heard that as well. What the hell was it? I shrugged my shoulders and said, no idea. I have never experienced anything like that before. Clearly, Alan and I had experienced the same bizarre incident. And for the next few moments, we just stood looking at each other both relieved that we had validation from each other. We hadn't imagined it. John said, are you two taking the piss? And I could tell by the expression on his face that he was clearly confused by what he was hearing. And he obviously thought we were trying to wind him up. Alan and I said that we were deadly serious and we spent the next 20 minutes or so telling him what happened during the night. I was keen to hear more of Alan's thoughts and I asked him to recall what he felt when the footsteps moved around the shelter and stopped at the entrance. He said, I was absolutely terrified. Could you see anything? I said, and he said, no, nothing. And to be honest, as soon as I heard those scary footsteps, I reached out of my sleeping bag and picked up a rock. I was ready to throw it at anything that came through that entrance. I was petrified, said Alan. What the hell was it? All three of us were confused by what had occurred and we decided to retrace the route taken by the footsteps to see if we could establish what had walked by that night. Negotiating the wet and slippery boulders around the shelter stone made us aware that whatever had crossed that same rocky terrain the previous night without a torch and at a steady pace had either been very sure-footed or possessed incredible nocturnal abilities. We searched around those boulders looking for footprints or any sign of passage, human, animal or otherwise, and we found nothing. As we stood next to the rear of the shelter, it became disturbingly clear that the footsteps had come within six feet of where we'd been sleeping. In an attempt to recreate the heavy footsteps down, I moved about on the boulders while Alan listened. But to our surprise, we found that my ten and a half stone weight was not enough to produce any sound. We turned our attention to creating the sound of the boulders crashing together. And again, 
we quickly discovered that to create a similar sound required the combined weight of two of us to knock the boulders together. We were all confused. What on earth had passed during the night? A sudden gust of icy wind caught me by surprise, making me shiver and it focused my mind. The weather was deteriorating rapidly. Snow began to carpet the ground, preventing any further investigations. With no prospects of climbing, we packed up our equipment and set off back to the car. The trek over Cairngorm was uneventful, just hard physical effort in the snow. The strong wind we had struggled against on the walk in was now at our backs and it was assisting us now. As we walked, Alan and I continued to swap thoughts about the previous night. Some time later, I was recalling the events of that night to some of my climbing friends and I was telling them just how frightening the experience had been. And one of them said that he'd read a book on early Scottish mountaineering and he'd read about the big grey man. And it's supposed to be a legend about a hairy figure that haunts the mountains. The story goes that in November 1925, a highly respected climber, Professor Norman Collar, was invited to speak at the Cairngorm Club annual dinner. During his speech, the professor made public for the very first time an account of a terrifying experience he'd had 35 years earlier. The professor was apparently walking alone in thick mist near the summit when he heard something other than his own footsteps. To his surprise, he was hearing the crunch of heavier footsteps on the path behind him. He sounded as if something was keeping pace with him, but whether it was, only took one stride to every three or four of his. Collar kept looking back, trying to glimpse what was making a sound, but he could only see mist. He admitted that he felt a presence and he became gripped by fear. Taking to his heels, he fled down the mountain without looking back. And when closing his speech to the bewildered audience, the professor added, I will never again venture back to that place alone. The story from this otherwise sensible man of standing encouraged others with similar experiences to emerge from the shadows and share their own experiences with him. The Big Grey Man story is now well established in popular folklore. And these stories range from sightings of a huge hairy ape-like creature Whereas others only report hearing heavy, scary footsteps or becoming overwhelmed and fearful, just as Alan and I had, said Tom. Unfortunately, despite the increasing number of so-called big grey man encounters, no one has been able to provide any physical evidence to prove or disprove either way the existence of the big grey man. Tom went on to add, Although I finally written this story more than four decades after it occurred, my memories of that night are still as vivid as if it were yesterday. I have climbed in the Cairngorms many times since that night, but I have never felt any desire to return to the Shelterstone. Alan and I are still active from climb on a regular basis. Over the years, we have often recalled and deliberated our Shelterstone incident, ever hopeful for an answer or an explanation about what happened. When we tell the story to friends or interested parties, I'm often asked if I think we really had encountered the big grey man that night. My usual reply is, possibly, but I can't be certain, and I didn't see anything, and I have no 
hard evidence. What I am certain about is that whatever I experienced that night in August 1977 was very real and extremely frightening. And to this day, it remains a complete mystery. Now these chaps are not the only people to have experienced something at that storm shelter. Other reports there include a report in 1940, while spending a summer's night underneath a huge block of stone on Beng Matthew slopes, known as a shelter stone, Scottish author R. MacDonald Robertson and a friend were awakened by the sounds of growls that were being made by Robertson's dog. Then they could clearly hear the sound of crunching steps approaching them along the gravel path that led to the stone shelter, until suddenly they faded away again. The dog stopped growling and once again it relaxed. Two years later, Sidney Scroggie was staying at the shelter stone and he saw a tall, stately human figure when it appeared out of the black night on one side of the log. The figure was said to be clearly silhouetted against the water. It was described as having a strained gait. It walked at a pace with long, deliberate steps as it moved across the combined burns just where they entered the lock. Despite rushing over to the spot, Scroggy found no footsteps or any other evidence of the figure having even been there. The experience caused Sidney Scroggy a great deal of unease, so he quickly returned to the shelter stone. These are not the only strange accounts of activity in the Cairngorms. There are several reports from reputable climbers, hikers who've experienced the strangest things up there on the Lonely Peaks. Tom Robertson was 68 at the time he made his report in 2004 and he's far better known as a ghost hunter in his community. He was out hunting for a possible ghost or spirit when he had his unexplained encounter. During the investigation, Robertson and a friend were camped on the summit when Tom was shocked to see a yeti-like creature which was nearly 12 feet in height and this creature then attacked their tent while they were sleeping. Mr. Robertson said, We were in our tents when it happened. It was about 1am. We had climbed into our sleeping bag some time before. We heard the sound of footsteps that sounded like something was coming in our direction. It was walking up to the tent, and we both heard mumbling noises as it made sounds outside. Only a short while later, their tent collapsed in on them. Tom said, I looked up through the air vent in the roof of the tent and I saw a large arm that came crashing down onto us. And standing there was the figure of a creature that seemed to resemble a yeti and it was standing over the tent looking in at us. Then in that moment all hell broke loose and the creature was trying to get us. I remember something landed on my foot and after this my toes were black and bruised for weeks. Mr Robinson also found 24 inch footprints in the gravel the site of the camp. After the attack was over, the two men were drenched from the heavy rain that fell that night as it poured into their collapsed tent. At 4am they packed up and started down the mountain, but after nearly two miles of walking, Mr Robertson became ill and weak from exhaustion. His friend Derek Blake was forced to leave Mr Robinson at the spot wrapped in a sleeping bag for warmth, and Mr Blake pressed on and was eventually able to summon help. Thankfully, the two men were picked up by the mountain rescue team at around 11am that morning.
1940, a man named Robert Frey came forward and told a tale on behalf of his friend who decided to spend a night camping on the top of the mountain in 1940. The friend was resting in his tent near the cairn when he began to suffer a feeling of overwhelming morbidity and a sense of unreality that was hard to shake. But eventually he finally fell asleep. The man woke up with the moonlight shining through a gap in his tent and he suddenly realised that he could see something brownish that was standing between himself and the moon. Horrified, the man froze and he waited for the thing to move away. When it did, he looked out into the brilliant moonlight and saw a large brown creature that was swaggering away down the mountainside. He said the creature had an air of insolent strength about it. Incredibly, he estimated the height of the thing to be around 20 feet tall and he described it as having an erect posture. It had broad shoulders and a tapering waist. He said, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't human. Can you imagine being these men out there on a lonely mountainside, miles from anywhere, underneath a stone shelter or in a tent and you hear these crunching footsteps that come in your direction or these footsteps follow you or chase you down the mountain. The young lady in our report earlier who stayed in the shelter stone at that night said that it saved her life. I wonder how she would have felt if she'd known the stories that these men had had happened to them when they were there. Adjacent to the shelter stone as the crow flies there is another strange report that matches very well with the other accounts of a climber who suddenly hear footsteps that are crunching the scree coming in their direction or even following them down as they descend. In 1945, Peter Densham, who is a local forester and climbing enthusiast, had lots of experience on the Cairngorms. Mr. Densham decided one day in 1945 to climb the Ben which he accomplished and he arrived at the summit cairn around noon. It was a clear bright day and the panorama from Britain's second highest mountain was utterly breathtaking. He stood and he took in the views. However, the mist soon descended and Mr Denshin decided to finish off his lunch at the cairn and then make his way back down the slopes. Knowing the hill well, Peter was in no way disturbed by the mist or poor visibility. Setting off on his route, he soon heard the familiar crunch, crunch of feet on the plateau behind him. At first he was intrigued rather than afraid and he set off to investigate. Thinking of the grey man and the paranoia of others, but not really taking it seriously. As Peter got closer to the noise, he too was suddenly overcome by a sense of foreboding and his desire to flee the mountain became intense. Without even thinking, instinct took over and he was soon running hell for leather to the valley below, barely missing the steep cliffs of Lurcher's Scrag. Mr Denshin was left shaken and utterly convinced that something unnatural stalked the mountains. Alistair Borthwick's a superb 1939 book about climbing in Scotland, which is titled A Always a Little Further, relates two accounts from climbers who he knew that experienced the big grey man. 
The first witness was alone, heading over Mahdu for Karoh on a night when the snow had a hard, crisp crust through which his boots broke every step. He reached the summit and it was while he was descending the slopes that he heard footsteps coming from behind him. Footsteps not in the rhythm of his own, but occurring only once for every three steps that he took. He went on to explain. I felt a queer, crinkly feeling in the back of my neck, but I said to myself, this is silly, and there must be a plausible reason for it. So I stopped, and the footsteps stopped, and I sat down, trying to reason it out. I could see nothing. There was a moon about somewhere, but the mist was fairly thick. The only thing I could think of was that when my boots broke through the snow crust, they made some sort of echo. And that was what I was hearing. But then every step should have been echoed. And not just this regular one in three. I was scared stiff. I got up and I walked on. Trying hard not to look behind me. I got down alright. The footsteps stopped about a thousand feet above. And I didn't run. But if anything had said so much as boo behind me. I'd have been down the corral like a streak of lightning. The second man's experience was roughly similar. He was also on the bend and alone when he also heard footsteps. The man was climbing in daylight in the summer, but so dense was the mist that he was working by compass and visibility was almost as poor as it would have been on a winter's night. The footsteps he heard were made by something or someone trudging up the fine scree, which are all over the upper parts of the mountain. A thing not so extraordinary in itself. The steps were only a few yards behind him. But what was exceedingly odd was that when the mist suddenly cleared and he could see clearly, there was no living thing on the mountain. And at that point, the mountain was devoid of cover of any kind. Mr. Barthwick asked the witness, Did the steps follow yours exactly? No, said the witness. That was a funny thing. They didn't. The footsteps were regular, all right, but the queer thing was that they seemed to come once for every two and a half steps of my own. Alistair Borthwick went on to explain. Once I was out with a search party on the bed, and on the way down after an unsuccessful day, I asked some of the gamekeepers and stalkers who we were with us what they thought of it all. They worked there, so they should know. Did the big grey man exist, or was it just a silly story? And they looked at me for a few seconds, and then one of them said, We don't talk about that. Another experience was reported in October 1943. On, it was in the Highest Peaks blog, and it was written by a gentleman who was climbing and all of the dangers it brings. He also felt the strange foreboding wash over him on the visit to the summit. The man explained, I spent 10 days leave climbing alone in the Cairngorms. One afternoon, just as I reached the summit of Ben, the mist swirled around and enveloped the mountain. The atmosphere became dark and oppressive, and a fierce, bitter wind whisked among the boulders, and an odd sound echoed through the mist. The sound was that of a loud footstep, or so it seemed, and then another, and another, and they kept being heard until a strange shape loomed up from the mist. The figure receded and then suddenly came charging at him. 
He said, without hesitation, I pulled out a revolver and I had, and I fired three times at that figure. And it still came towards me after even firing those shots. I turned and I headed it down the path, reaching Glenderry in a time that I've never bettered since. And you may ask, was it really the Fair Lath? Frankly, I think that it was. The sound of following footsteps seems to be a pattern in all of these accounts. I wonder how many other climbers and visitors to the mountains have heard that same footstep behind them and they've just disregarded it thinking it was another climber. Or were they spooked by it but they've never shared their experience outside of family or friends? We just don't know, there could be so many of them out there. I found another report from a gentleman that happened in 1988 and he was also on Ben Mahdu and he said, I was climbing back down when I experienced the footstep phenomenon mentioned by others. It was pretty misty and I was alone, but it was like something was following behind me, only 10 metres or so back. It felt like it was keeping track of me as I walked. I backtracked to see if anyone was there, but I didn't see anything or anyone. But it was weird enough to scare me. I was particularly scared as the sounds occurred both when I was moving or when I was stationary. And it was only after I told the story to a Glasgow chap who is my cousin years later that I first heard about the big grey man. What stalks the scree piles watching travellers as they sleep? And what crunches behind them as they walk? I came across one local legend from the locks around the area and it's a tale of the Badakh. The Badakh are ghosts which once frequented Loch Garter and the surrounding areas, including the anonymously named Loch of the Curse, was said to be a frightening sight. I bet he was. The phantom being would appear as a glowing, gigantic white entity, roaming the countryside at night, warning anyone he met with a high-pitched scream of their approaching death. Could this entity be our grey man, hidden in the mist? Or is this a being that can change its appearance or even cloak itself entirely, as it's often heard rather than seen? The west side of the lot was believed to be the home of the king of the fairies, while the east side was guarded by the spectre of the bloody hand, a gigantic figure of a man in Highland warrior dress who had but one hand dripping with blood, and he would challenge anyone he met with a fight to the death. But by contrast, he was champion of animals, being a guardian of deer and other wild creatures. Before we finish, I'd like to share a report from Christmas Day in 2012, when a young girl and her parents witnessed a strange set of lights in the sky. And I will explain. If the creature on Ben Mahdu, or if the creature in the Cairn Garns, is dimensional in some way. I need to be looking at energy. And mountains are like pyramids. The higher you go up, the stronger the energy is. So we know that there are strange paranormal encrypted reports there. But are there any UFO reports there? And the answer to that is yes. Here's just one of them. A young lady made this report and she said, tonight, while driving home from the back roads on Glenmore, my family and I noticed two bright lights in the sky. 
they were overly bright. So as we approached our home in Glenmore, we noticed they were moving closer to our home. Both objects were quite low in the sky due to the starting of a light snowfall and some fog. I tried to record the objects on my phone, but my smartphone would not cooperate. I got three blurry pictures, but all you can see is a lighted object in the sky. There were other people across from our home that pulled up their car and got out and they were looking at these flying objects also. We watched them for about eight minutes or so before they proceeded to go back into the sky southwards. There was a man who replied to this lady's post and he had some information of his own to add and he said, I saw those lights, but I saw them from a different vantage point. And my friend saw the lights in Glenmore. For him, it was about quarter to nine when they appeared and they were orange lights in pairs. He saw four sets of them. They'd move up slowly and then just disappear. They were too slow to be flares and they were not lanterns. And it would end with one light moving in a different direction than the rest of them. He actually got a video of them and he showed it to me. And I can't explain what they were. The objects looked at it like burning flames. And they were orange and flickered like the fire. These lights seemed to have appeared right in the middle of the sky. They didn't float up from the ground like a flare or a lantern would. All of the objects moved in the exact line that the other did, almost in unison, and they all disappeared at once in the same spot. That tells me that energy is at play here somewhere. Natural earth energy. And if those mountains have got granite or quartz in them, that would intensify it even more. So if you fancy a spot of climbing or a sky watch, then the Cairngorms is the place to head. I like my camping trips without added footsteps, strange lights, howls and impossible creatures. So if you go and you hear the ominous sound of crunching feet, please feel free to let me know. Thank you for joining me tonight. I look forward to our weekly get-togethers so much. I'll be back at the same time next week with more fascinating tales of the strange. Please check out my Patreon site for early exclusive sighting report videos and witness interviews or share with a friend or family members. I wish you peace and tranquility for this week and I will catch you all next time. Good night, everyone.
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.